lesson tonight comes from the book of Joel, looking at Joel chapter 1. Probably most of what we are familiar with comes from Joel chapter 2, and we will get to that uh, next week. But in Joel chapter 1, we learn about the effects of sin, or maybe I should say we are reminded of the effects of sin, because we find really what we see in Joel chapter 1 is a description or an illustration being used to show the destructive power of sin. The descriptions we find throughout the book of Joel have a, no doubt, a very spiritual application. Various types of destruction, for instance, show what sin is doing to Israel. So as we look at Joel chapter 1, we'll be looking at first uh, verses 1, uh, really through, through verse 12 here. But in Joel chapter 1, first, in this first part, we'll notice the damage and the sorrow that, again, that sin is bringing upon them, being here using the idea of destruction, the various types of destruction, to show the power of sin and what sin brings. We'll begin first by looking at verse 1 of Joel chapter 1, the damage that comes upon uh, these people. Beginning in verse 1, the Bible says, The word of the Lord that came to Joel, the son of Pethuel. Now notice, first of all, in verse 1, the word of the Lord. This is not the word of man. This is not even the word of Joel, but it is the word of the Lord. The Lord is the one who is saying these things. It's coming, as we find here, through Joel, but it is the word of the Lord. In verse 2, the Bible tells us, Hear this, you elders, and give ear all you inhabitants of the, of the land. Has anything like this happened in your days, or even in the days of your fathers? So we find in verse 2, he's asking the elders and the inhabitants of the land and those who have been there for so long, asking them if they have seen anything like this ever before. And what we're going to be seeing, he's talking about, what he's talking about is in verse 4 and following. But he says, that's a rhetorical question. No, they've never seen anything like this before. The destructive power they, they are looking at has never been seen by them before. We find in verse 3 that they are to remember these things. Verse 3 says, tell your children about it, that your children tell their children, and their children another generation. So we find they also are to tell others what they have seen, to pass the account of these events so that all can know and learn from what's taking place in the time period of Joel. We look at verse 4, we find the description being used. Again, this is really describing the spiritual application of what sin does. But here it's the different types of locusts that are being described here in verse 4 and their destructive power. You look at verse 4, there's actually four different types of locusts uh, mentioned there. And for whatever reason, I have verse 4 on there. But, but verse 4 says, With the chewing locusts left, the swarming locust has eaten. With the swarming locust left, the crawling locust has eaten. And with the crawling locust left, the consuming locust has eaten. You find the chewing locust, the swarming locust, the crawling locust, and the consuming locust there in verse 4. Four different types of locusts. And you think about that for a moment, looking at verse 4, he says... Well, the chewing locust left, the swarming locust has eaten. And what the swarming locust left, the crawling locust has eaten. And what the crawling locust left, the consuming locust has eaten. 
Was there anything left? The idea is very clear. There was nothing left. There is nothing left to be consumed after these locusts have come in and destroyed this, and destroyed so much. Again, we're going to be talking about the spiritual part of this in just a moment. But it was because of the sin of these people that these things were happening, and it was their sin that was going to cause their downfall and cause their death. Because as we go through this, we see that these things were literally happening, but for spiritual reasons. We find in verse 5 of Joel chapter 1, he says, Awake, you drunkards, and weep, and wail, all you drinkers of wine, because of the new wine, for it has been cut off from your mouth. Those who like to, to enjoy and to impart or to take part in these types of things, the source was gone, which means their, their wine and all these things that they would get drunk upon was, was, was literally drying up. It was not going to last. Uh, their indulgence of sin was coming to an end, and therefore their indulgence of such things was going also to be their end because they were sinning because of what they were doing, and the opportunity for them to sin, these physical things were drying up, but again, what's happening is their sin is bringing this upon them. A strong enemy we find in verses 6 and 7 that is great in number and vicious was coming against them. We look at verse 6 and 7. For a nation has come up against my land, strong and without number. I've seen a lot of different movies and different battle scenes, and sometimes you see big armies, sometimes you see smaller ones. But some of the best ones you, I like watching are those ones where the, the, the people supposedly are so big they almost don't even fit in the screen. The army is so large it just goes back with rows and rows of people and soldiers and, and you know chariots and those types of things, a massive amount of people. And that's the image we find here in verse 6. Strong and without number. You know, it's, it's enough of a problem to be, having, to be facing a large army. When you face a large army that's also very strong, your hopes dwindle just that much more quickly. Look at verse 6. Their, uh, their viciousness really is described. He says, His teeth are the teeth of a lion. He has the fangs of a fierce lion. What does that mean? An aggressive, strong, and large army is coming against them. He says in verse 7, He has laid waste my vine and ruined my fig tree. He has stripped it bare and thrown it away. Its branches are made white, which means there is literally nothing upon them, right? Generally speaking, you see a branch that's been stripped down where you see white, it means there's nothing left on it, right? Sometimes storms will do that. They'll strip trees and strip branches, and you'll see a lot of white on them because the bark and all, all those types of things are gone. It's down to the white that's mentioned here in verse 7. We find in verses 8 through 12, really some clear images are used to describe how and why they should mourn because the mourning, no doubt, is because of their physical hardships, but their physical hardships are a result of their sin. The nation is coming against them because of their wickedness. God has caused this to happen. The locusts have destroyed so much because God has caused this to happen. We know this is not uncommon in the Bible for God to use such, uh, such ways to punish those who have gone against Him. We look at verse 8. The Bible says here, Lament like a virgin girded of the sackcloth for the husband of her youth. The idea of a, a virgin who has lost her husband, well, how soon? Very soon, right? The husband of her youth. She laments why? Because her husband is gone so quickly. 
The grain offering and the drink offering have been cut off in the house of the Lord. The priests mourn who minister to the Lord. Even those who are ministering to the Lord are mourning. Why? Because the ability to, to perform their task assigned to them by God is dwindling up. The resources are dwindling up because of what's taking place. And they are mourning. The Bible says, The priests mourn who minister to the Lord. The field is wasted. The land mourns where the grain is ruined. The new wine is dried up. The oil fails. Be ashamed, you farmers. Well, you vine dressers for the wheat and the barley because the harvest field has perished. We look there at verse 12. The first part of verse 12, he says, The vine is dried up and the fig tree is withered. The pomegranate tree, the palm tree also, and the apple tree, all the trees of the field are withered. You think about what he's listing. The fruit, basically, somehow, is gone. The new wine is dried up. The oil fails. The vine dressers and the wheat, and those who are, uh, those who are handling the wheat and the barley, the field is what? It's perished. It's empty. You know what happens when things like that begin to dry up? If farmers' fields didn't yield crops, if the fruit did not grow, if the vegetables did not grow, if the farming fell, what would happen? Famine ultimately would strike the land, right? Because what we have now would ultimately run out and we'll be able to be replenished because we couldn't grow it. And so you picture the scene. The locust is destroying things. The army is massive and vicious. It's coming against them. And their produce is drying up before their eyes. Even those who minister to the Lord are mourning because they're having trouble doing so. As the Bible says there uh, in verse 9, have been, uh, the grain offering, the drink offering have been cut off. They're not even able to do that anymore from the house of the Lord. The priests mourn who minister to the Lord. Why? Because they can't do their work. All because of sin. Now notice for a second, if you will, the words are used to describe how they are to react to this. They are to lament in verse 8. They are to mourn in verse 9. They are to be ashamed in verse 11. In the same verse, they also are told to wail. All are what? Actions that surround repentance and calling out to God for help, right? Lament, lament over what? What's taking place and why it's taking place? Many times it's not just what's happening, but also why it's happening. Mourn for the same reason. Be ashamed. Why? Because of the sin that's causing these things to happen. And then he says, well, in verse 11. Clear images are used here to show why they should mourn because of the condition of the land and why these things were taking place. Notice the last part of verse 12. Here the Bible says, Surely joy is withered away from the sons of men. That really sums it up. They're no longer happy. There's no happiness in the land. There's no joy. Everybody is crying, lamenting. Why? Because everything is starting to go away. It's being either destroyed by locusts, or it's just not producing, and the army is just on the horizon. Strong, beyond number, and they are vicious. That's a bad place to be. If you really think about it, just one of those is bad enough. The locust, well, that's a big enough headache. Things not producing, that's another big headache. An army on the horizon, well, that's always a concern. But to have all those things coming upon you, and they could do nothing about any of them except turning to God. 
He was, as he always has been, their only hope. Look now with me at verse 13 and following. We find the announcement, what I call the announcement, and the appeal in verses 13 and 14. We begin in verse 13 looking at this announcement. The Bible says here, Gird yourselves and lament, you priests. Well, you who minister before the altar, come lie all night in sackcloth, you who minister to my God, for the grain offering and the drink offering are withheld from the house of your God. Those who ministered before the Lord are called upon to what? To repent. Gird yourself in sackcloth. You do that when you are what? In mourning over sin. Mourning over conditions that's taking place. You notice there in verse, verse 13 it says, Come like all night in sackcloth. This wasn't just to be a, Lord, please help us. It was what? You lie in sackcloth all night long. Things were getting beyond serious, right? It wasn't, well, you know, we should really think about doing something. It was, we're already too late. What do we do now? It wasn't things were just now starting to dry up. Things were actually starting to just completely disappear. Something so sad because we find in verse 13 that even the work of those who ministered before the altar, before the Lord, were unable to do their task. We look at verse 14. The Bible says here, <clears throat> Consecrate a, a fast, call a sacred assembly, gather the elders, and call the inhabitants of the land into the house of the Lord your God, and cry out to the Lord. They are told to do several things. Declare or consecrate a fast, which means what? You set aside no food, no drink. As we know during the time of, of Jonah, that king did what? He sat in sackcloth and ashes and he didn't eat or drink. He declared a fast throughout all the land. The same idea here in Joel, right? We need to what? Bring forth fruits worthy repentance, right? Showing that they were in mourning, having godly sorrow over their sins and over their actions. Consecrate a fast. Call a sacred assembly. Call together the elders and all the inhabitants of the land to the house of the Lord. Your God. Get everyone here is what they are saying. And get them up here now. Because certain death most definitely was on the horizon if they haven't had some here died already. Get everyone into the house of the Lord your God, he says, and cry out to the Lord. Declare a fast. Get here now. And we're all going to pray to God that what? That we don't die that God will no doubt relent as they repent of their sins. We continue reading here in just a moment. We look at verse 19. We'll come back to verse 15 in a moment. If we look at verse uh, 19, we find the supplication. He says, O Lord, to you I cry out, for the fire has devoured the open pastures, and the flame has burned all the trees of the field. They're crying out to God because their, their livelihood and their hope of food is just burning up before their eyes. It's either being eaten or it's just being destroyed. Before everything was drying up, now he says here, the fire has devoured the open pastures. Why were those things happening? Because sin was in their lives. You might say sin was in the camp, as we say sometimes. Looking at verse 20, 
We find here that the animals are even pictured as crying out. The beasts of the field also cry out to you, for the water brooks are dried up, and fire has devoured the open pastures. They're not literally crying out to God, but can animals complain? I have two cats. I can promise you, yes, they can complain. Animals can complain. You don't feed a dog for a while, he'll complain. He'll let you know. Livestock, I'm sure, are not any different. They know where the food is supposed to be, when it's usually there. When it's not there, what's going to happen? Animals can do crazy things. Well, here we find the idea they're crying out. Not literally, but the idea is they are without food and water. It's drying up. Their open pastures are on fire, which would, include, which would include the area in which the, what? Where the livestock are, right? No one's no food and water for them. Their land where they're supposed to be roaming is now on fire. Not a good situation. Some lessons for us to think about. That is that sin destroys everything that it touches. Sin destroys everything that it touches. We go back and look at uh, verse uh, verse uh, 4 here in this chapter. The Bible says, The chewing locusts left, the swimming locusts have eaten, but one left, the other one ate. Right? And on and on and on until the idea that there was nothing left. Nothing was left unaffected, right? Sin is the exact same way. Nothing is left unaffected. If we have sin in our life, it's going to affect every area of our lives until we rid it out. Despite what the world says, sin does not bring happiness, as we find in verse 12. It actually takes it away. Remember, surely joy is withered away from the sons of men. It wasn't just because everything was drying up. It's because why it was drying up. Why were they crying out to God? Because they knew they needed Him. They knew that He was their only hope. They knew He was the only one who could restore hope to them and the only one who could forgive their sins. Repentance can restore the faithful to God. Every problem has a solution, right? Every problem has a solution. God was the solution to the sin problem in Joel's time, and He's the solution in our time as well. Godly sorrow over sin is a requirement before repentance. The idea of lying in sackcloth all night, what was that to do? To show godly sorrow that this wasn't a joke to them. People were on the verge of losing their lives. And so when they call everybody together and declare a fast, which wouldn't be hard to do since everything's drying up, right? And they're together together to pray. Why? Because people are about to start to die. True repentance includes godly sorrow. Every problem has a solution. We think about, it's interesting today if people say the Bible is outdated. I can help sometimes smile when I hear that because I think, to me I wonder, have you not read the Bible? Because the problems hasn't changed. They go by different names, right? People talk about, well, I need to stop spending so much time with this and more time doing this. Sometimes that's called idolatry when we put something above God. Or we put someone, we don't put our families as important as we should, or whatever it may be. The Bible uses certain terms for that. The world today uses different ideas, but it's the same sin, just goes by a different name. As you look about this this evening, we know the actions and mindsets are encouraged in Joel 1. 
point to the importance and sincerity of repentance. They were in a very desperate situation. And if we're honest, and we have said this, I'm sure, many times before in the past, we look at our nation today, do we need to be crying out to God? Most definitely. And if we're honest, we need to do that all the time. Even if we think things are going well, we still better be crying out to God. Because just because we feel things are going well doesn't mean we're approved of in the sight of God. Sometimes you say, well, things you know, have improved some, but so you kind of get the idea, oh, we're going down the right road. And we've got to realize that we still need to be crying out to God for help and for guidance. These people were finally crying out to God and began to show their desire for forgiveness. We continue reading there in chapter 1 what's going on. Everything was, was falling apart. If we look at Joel chapter 1, verse 17, the seed shrivels under the clods. Storehouses are in shambles. Barns are broken down, for the grain has withered. How the animals groan, verse 18, right? Everything was falling down around them. Everything was, was literally just being destroyed and going, we might say, as we say sometimes, it was going south. And they had to be turning back to God. They're going to have any hope. We too should have the same attitude towards sin. We need to make sure that we go to God. It doesn't matter who we are, how young, how old, what position we have held over the years in the church or in our jobs, where it may be. It doesn't matter. Everyone has the same problems. Temptation, sin, repentance, forgiveness, coming back to God. Those are things we deal with, if we're honest, probably on an almost daily basis. Things that tempt us, sin when we make mistakes, repentance, forgiveness, coming back to God. Over and over and over. But the problem is, the day we stop doing that, is the day we start being treated like Israel in Joel chapter 1. Things start going south. We start seeing the enemy on the horizon. We start seeing everything around us failing. Because why? Because we have failed God. That's why the people in, in Joel 1 were in that position, because they had failed God. And this wasn't the first time, as we know that as well. And so we must realize that we are going to have to have the same attitude as we find here in Joel. That is the attitude that we want to come back to God or make, and make ourselves right before Him. As we go throughout Joel chapter 1, we find examples of mourning and groaning and wailing and crying over and over and over again. You know, if we're honest, sometimes I think it's interesting how little things can affect us so deeply. If we have bad weather and our power goes out, what happens? We get concerned, right? Now, let's be honest. Before we ever get to that point, we see a bad weather report. What happens at the grocery store, right? Everybody and their neighbors shows up, and they're hoarding all types of things. They're running out the, out the house, and what do you know? The next day, there's a thunderstorm or nothing else, right? We have seen that scenario play out this past year and the first part of this year a little too often. People are getting scared and overreacting. But when it comes to sin, there's not an overreaction, is there? We see our problem on the horizon and we say, I'm going to address it now before that problem gets here. 
I see what could take place. I see the temptation is coming. I want to deal with it now before it actually gets here. Because if the people did not make themselves right with God, that army that's being described that was coming up, that army is strong without number and was vicious and all those things, against a nation that is starving to death, friends, they go through them like water. They won't even be there. Them being destroyed wouldn't even be an argument. We should have the same attitude towards sin we find here in Joel. We should have true godly sorrow, repent, and turn back to God. As we think about these things, and we'll continue looking at Joel the next uh, week or so, looking at the various things we have learned, no doubt some things we have seen before. But one thing is sure as, as we look throughout the book of Joel and other numerous scriptures is that sin has always been the problem, but God has always been the solution. Sometimes we use the phrase, we get, we get in our own way, which means we stop ourselves from doing what is right. Maybe it's pride, maybe it's arrogance, maybe it's denial, whatever it may be. But the people in Joel's time were told there's no time for any of that. We need to do what? Repent. They were told to mourn, to wail, to cry out to God. Everybody here, all those things. Because why? Because it was way past time. They should have been doing this a long time ago. So as you think about these things this evening, we want to be mindful of our own situation. That when we realize that we are not doing things that are right before God, that we repent of those things before God, confess those things to Him. And as we know very well, as 1 John 1 verse 9 tells us, He is faithful and just, forgive us of our sins, and He cleanses us from all unrighteousness. So let's make sure we take advantage of God and His mercy and we confess those things before Him and make those things right before it is eternally too late. This evening, we can help you or encourage you in any way. You can come forward now. We'll be sending the song and has been selected. <laughs>